0: Welcome to the Wealthy Circle Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into this year's finalists and winners from our WealthManagement.com 2020 Industry Awards. These interviews cover the challenges, innovations, and trends in the wealth management industry and the individuals working to help advisors better help their clients. All right, well, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, My name is David Armstrong. I'm the editor-in-chief of WealthManagement.com, and this is the Wealthy's Podcast, where we talk to finalists, of our Wealthy Wealth Management Industry Awards for 2020. And with me is uh, Rich Steinmeier from LPL. Rich, how are you doing?
1: Hey David, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing really well, appreciate the time today.
0: Absolutely, great, thanks for joining us.
1: Uh, So LPL
0: this year was a a finalist in three categories. Uh, The uh, Broker-Dealer for the Model Marketplaces category for your advisor sleeve. Uh, The Broker-Dealer Practice Management category for CFO Solutions and in the custodian category uh, for the new account opening technology that you guys rolled out. I think new account opening speaks for itself. VisorSleeve, we could talk about a little bit if you want. I'm kind of interested in the CFO solution. So maybe is there a way that you could uh, give us understanding of what problem financial advisors have that you were trying to solve with this initiative?
1: Sure. First off, thank you for the recognition through the wealthies. Uh, We missed not being in New York this year to celebrate and virtual was nice and appreciate that you guys uh, <laughs> tried to figure that out and um, bring us all together, but also looking forward to a time when we can all kind of come together for um, the night that is the Wealthies, And so Hopefully, Absolutely. we'll uh, we'll hold out hashtag Wealthy's 2021. So, Absolutely. yeah. It was an ambitious
0: that, attempt. It was an ambitious attempt. But, you know, <laughs> that's, we, uh,
1: that's right. We're all trying to make the best of what we can. And I, I think you built community and continue to invest in that community. So, appreciate it. So, if I talk specifically about CFO solutions, maybe I could take a step back for a second. I think what we so, recognize is that there is a need not just for great advisors to be great advisors, But in many instances, especially in the independent space, it's also there's a need for advisors to become great practitioners and business owners and optimize that business, which is their asset. And so while they certainly bring to bear those capabilities to serve their clients, There's a lot of expertise that many times advisors, while they're advising their clients on how well to run their businesses or how to achieve their financial success, there is some expertise that is sometimes needed to augment that practice. And when you look at what we introduced with what we call CFO solutions, that's the ability to actually have basically an on-staff CFO that you don't have to go out and source and identify and go through candidate reviews and interviews and bring them onto your staff full-time and have that obligation of a full-time employee. But can you get all of that expertise of somebody who understands the wealth management space, who has the tools into the space, um, who can understand your practice at an intimate level that can help you then begin to perform a diagnostic of your business to actually understand what are the investment levels you should be making as an advisor into marketing and client acquisition? What is your pricing levels and are they right what could you be doing to optimize the performance of the practice? And ultimately, as that is an asset and, an own, and, and a business that is owned by advisors, what are the things you can be doing as you begin to think about valuation? And how can you improve the valuation of, of your practice? And so for us, that construct was into a construct called business solutions, which is outsourcing key capabilities or augmenting your staff with expertise in the industry. CFO solution is one that we're really proud of because we spent a lot of time bringing our CFOs up to speed so that they understand this marketplace, they understand advisors, they understand their practices, and then they can bring that to bear with our advisors. And interestingly, the advisors that have used our CFO solutions, what we're seeing is that they're growing net new assets two times faster than a a similar advisor. So in a similar cohort um, who aren't augmenting their capabilities by having a professional CFO come to help join their practice, And what we also find is that their expected valuation, and so now that they look at the principles that drive valuation, for those that have been in the program a year, it looks like they're at 40% higher valuations for their practice than they had been before they entered in. So for those advisors, it's really about helping them bring professional management, folks who understand the industry, to their practice so they can run as good of a practice as they are as a financial advisor.
0: Was this something that you guys just formalized because you have... uh, 16,000-some independent advisors uh, on your platform, were they kind of coming to you on an ad hoc basis and saying, help us out with something like this? I mean, how did you recognize the need? And and it's totally true, right? I mean, we, we know this advisors who are, they're good advisors, but maybe not great business people, right? And they want to spend their time helping their clients and doing advising stuff, not necessarily running the back office. And so it makes sense to free up their time to do that kind of thing. Were advisors just coming to you on an ad hoc basis and asking for this kind of stuff? Or how did you formalize a program around it?
1: Yeah. So first, 17,158 advisors. We're proud of that 17,000 number. (laughs) Um, I was 1,000 off. Sorry. I think the answer is, what a jerk. Why would he have to make that? Why would I have to clarify that? We're just really proud. And so I would say – Yeah. Advisors were coming to us. So if you have 17,000 independent advisors and you go to dinner with an advisor or you sit in a group of advisors, more often what you hear is, man, I love independence. I love my own practice. I love the degrees of freedom that I have. I love that I control my own brand. But boy, there are some of those bugaboos around running the business that for me are not exactly what I had hoped that that I would have in independence. And so We heard that across the board. We heard that around marketing. We heard, hey, I don't want to run my own marketing programs. I don't know how to generate that content. How do I utilize social media? How am I investing in my web properties to build my brand? And so we built an offering um, CMO solution, so chief marketing officer solution. Similarly, Mm -hmm. hey, I'd love running an independent practice, but uh, what should – do I really have to go down to Best Buy and ask the geek squad what the best laptop is and how do I set up a network and how should I be thinking about how – how to secure my own my own website and and what's the infrastructure I should use there no that's probably not the best solution and so we came up with CTO solutions similarly we had heard a lot of folks that had you know been at other places where they were getting a sliver of a CSA but now they were out on their own and they absorbed all of that administrative support themselves well that doesn't have to be the case either and so for us we we built administrative services to help. Um, and similarly, again, on the CFO, the CFO was really one where it was, you were almost in the deep end of the pool and not sure exactly what to do there. So how should I be thinking about vendor solutions? How should I be thinking about that construct of my balance sheet and income statement? And, and where should I be making the investments? And, and when do I get to the trigger that says, wow, I really want to drive growth, but when is it appropriate to, maybe I run, an, I'm a sole practitioner, but I might want to bring a partner. And how should I think about acquisitions? Mm-hmm. Or how do I think about bringing on an incremental employee onto the practice and what's the thresholds I should think about and what are the key measures? But I have the benefit of working at a really big institution, and that institution um, has some institutional learnings and knowledge about what the key metrics for performance are. And we've got performance management systems. Well, as I go out on my own, if I were to go out as a financial advisor, I may establish that on my own. And so I may not have the peripheral vision that I may need to run the best practice. I think this is about getting peripheral vision, but it's also about having folks who are helping direct the ship. When we think about it in its best case scenario, we think about helping advisors run the best practices. And when you think about that, then that. Ultimately, uh, so kind of for us, David, led us to how do we help them run better practices? How do we help our advisors run better practices? And it was those feed that feedback from them, which is I love the advisor side, and maybe it's eighty percent of advisors ultimately that are in the independent space. Twenty percent of them, they've got it locked down. They love it. They know how to do all of those things. But eighty percent were coming to us and saying, I'm not sure that I'm cut out for all of these elements. And we began to be to be much more introspective about we need to help them. We need to figure out how to help mm-hmm. them. And ultimately, that's how you saw us introduce the four, first four business solutions I just talked about. We've got others in yeah. development, um, and we've got some others that we're thinking about as well, not only to help them run the business, but to help them grow the business more materially as well.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm sure it brings in uh, some uh, benchmarking data from uh, uh, the other 17,100 uh, advisors in your network. be <clears throat> some valuable data to, to kind of crunch and benchmark advisors, too.
1: No, that's exactly right. So we've got part of our CFO solutions is Access to an entire portal called Practice Hub, where you will see the key operating metrics for your practice as well as comparative measures for other advisors on those same metrics so that you can really get to a dashboard. Uh, again, in this scenario, we're talking about CFO, but that CFO will help you interpret that data, but minimally, you'll have that, that, that performance dashboard at your fingertips about how well is my business being run, just not, and which is in addition to how well are my clients being served, right? If you can marry how well are my clients being served to how well is my business running and you can answer kind of a plus to both of those look out. I think that that is the formula for advisors to be tremendously successful.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and you're totally right. Most independent advisors or many independent advisors are flying kind of solo and a little bit blind when it comes to that stuff. So given them, this seems like a great idea. You want to talk a little bit about advisor sleeve and what the the judges recognize there as
1: a worthy of a finalist. Yeah. So I think, not surprisingly, David. One of the other things you'll think about is advisors increasingly are running models-based practices, and so they've got a core model that they may be running. And but then you've got to kind of dial up or dial down that model based on your individual client experience and uh, the situation that the client at hand. And so helping recognizing that advisors want to run model-based practices, allowing them to have a core model that they can either dial up or dial down risk, or they can look at certain exposures have hold-out positions or if they want to have a complex uh, a more complex conversation where they're they're fulfilling a complement a completion portfolio versus a core portfolio and doing all of that efficiently so outsourcing the trading and implementation of those strategies. I think that's what we're thinking about. This is allow the advisor to run the intellectual property that they really care about, run a models-based practice, but do it in a much more efficient way that not only allows you to run an efficient practice, but then also allows you to get to personalization at each one of your clients inside of their portfolio based on their personal situation. And if you're doing that and allowing that easily to you know, bring those dials up or dials down of risk or exposure or individual um, sector exposure. If you're able to do that for an advisor, it will take hours, hours out of their day that allow them to be more client facing or doing the things that are important to helping those clients succeed versus moving in and going through trade execution and optimization of liquidation or trying to implement a standard portfolio and then doing it on their own to dial up risk or dial it down. Really having that ability to do that inside of a tool, we think makes it a much easier job to run a models-based practice, which we think is really important for advisors. And so we've seen a lot of receptivity only in the first a little over a year that we 've had advisor sleep, but we 've already seen three billion dollars um, over three billion dollars in assets move on to that platform because again, this is about advisors who are running model based practices being able to do it much easier so we 're proud of that mm-hmm. we have a lot mm-hmm. we have a lot more investment that we 're going to make in supporting those advisors running those customized sleeps, but we think uh, we again are really appreciative to have had the recognition of being nominated and considered for a wealthy on the advisor sleeve because for us, again, it, it, it is something we're really proud of in supporting advisors' practices.
0: Let me take a uh, step back and, and just philosophically for a minute. It seems to me that what you're building out there at LPL and, and what some of your competitors are attempting to build out as well is kind of a uh, soup to nuts support platform for independent advisors. Taking as much of the day-to-day chores, running a practice off the advisor's hands or helping them, assisting them with it uh, in a way that frees them up to do the advisory work. Is almost like these things are becoming in in different iterations, right? Uh, So it could be a custodial platform for an RIA or broker-dealer platform for the independent broker-dealer space or what we call a non-custodial RIA support platform in terms of like some of the other uh, platforms that are out there. Talk to me a little bit about where LPL is at in that uh, sort of transition and where you sort of see the future going. I've always thought it becomes this weird thing where it's almost like the custodian platforms and the independent broker-dealer platforms are kind of going full circle and meeting up together at one particular point, right? Where in a way, you can't distinguish LPL from an independent custodial platform. And in fact, you guys are a custodian. And you have some different business models that are, are coming out uh, or have come out around this idea. Speak to me a little bit about that, the transition in the space and where you guys sit and where you see it going.
1: Yeah, so I would – let's start with one thing, David. I mean, after there was a big transaction that just closed in the last couple of weeks that took one of the largest custodians out of the marketplace. And so if you look by assets, we're the third largest custodian in the
0: marketplace. You're talking about Schwab and PDA. Schwab, Schwab. Schwab So you take –
1: you take TDA out of the marketplace. We're the third largest custodian, and so I think we can let let's talk about where we're headed. You know, historically, I think there was this moniker applied, which is this IBD, independent broker dealer. And by the way, we're really proud of our heritage. We're proud of serving independent-minded advisors, and we're proud that we've built on that legacy of helping advisors really secure their own personal path and helping them secure the paths of their clients. But really, what's happened, and I think you've you've, you've said it quite well, is that This concept of these categorizations has really begun to fall away. For us, we view ourselves not as an IBD. We're a wealth management platform in support of independent-minded advisors. And if those advisors uh, want to run their own RIA and use us as a custodian, but keep in mind, we just had a big conversation about CFO services. There is no reason that an independent RIA wouldn't say, man, I'd love to have a CFO who understands my business, can support my business, and maybe comes from my custodian so they actually are integrated with my data set and understand the tools that I may use really well. And so, you know, supporting independent RIAs, supporting hybrid RIAs, supporting Uh, RIAs that would, uh, folks who may have dropped their licenses, but want to run on our corporate RIA, which is on our custodial platform, versus those that traditionally we've defined as independent broker-dealers using our corporate RIA, as well as our broker-dealer platform. And we've even expanded our support set now, and we've had a couple of new, what we call affiliation models, in that we support now um, advisors who want to become employees of LPL and support, again, that's Mm -hmm. an independent employee model. So it's got all the trappings of independence. So we still they still own their clients, but we're providing benefits and taking down real estate for them and providing their administrative support so they don't have to hire a CSA and still doing that while delivering them TA. And similarly, we built another offering called Strategic Wealth Services to help. Wirehouse advisors who want to move directly to independence, but feel that it's a step too far. So that supported independence model identifies real estate, takes down the real estate for them, builds it out, implements their technology, also puts in place the human capital bill and supports them through their healthcare solutions that we identify and source. But in the end, they stay as a 1099 running their own practice. And we provide that CFO support, the CMO support, the CTO support, as well as a COO to help them run their practices and achieve their goals. So what I would tell you is, David, we look at three thousand or three hundred thousand advisors in the marketplace plus RIAs and say, we think we should be able to serve them across the board. That's a you know twenty four trillion dollar advisor intermediated marketplace. We are increasingly stepping forward with capabilities to serve all of those advisors. And so I think these distinctions of IBD and custodian and fill in the blank, whatever those solutions are, however we used to say them in the past, for us, those are falling away. And I think those monikers, Mm -hmm. they they matter today. I will tell you, we're re-architecting all of our infrastructure so that even what I just told you about affiliation models, quite honestly, for us in a couple of years, those won't exist. It will literally be, tell us exactly how you want to run your practice, what is important to you, and we'll help you structure that in whatever way you see fit. So that architecturing that we're thinking about probably consumes or consists of hundreds of toggles discreetly that are on or off based on support that we do or don't provide you based on how you want to run your practice. So we're imagining what would it mean to run a perfect practice for an advisor? And so in that scenario, what would she want to, be, to have in her support? And that's kind of how we view ourselves. We view the advisor determining and defining how she wants to run us, our, her practice and us being malleable, like a, like a very malleable metal that bends and molds to support her and provide her a partner that is supporting her in however she wants to run her practice.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. The uh, employee model is interesting one, too, right? I mean, this is relatively new. How has how the pickup gone there? How is the What does that look like now?
1: Yeah, so just as a reminder, we introduced this concept of an independent employee model in August, and as we speak right now, we're in mid-October. We've had tremendous demand in the marketplace, so we have been really impressed and and really humbled, humbled by the number of advisors that have reached out to us to really understand this offering more. And I would tell you, the pipeline and demand and the partnership has been wonderful, not surprisingly, you might you know, you, I think you'd probably be pretty close to it as as would many of uh, your listeners know that that process for decisioning takes some time it's usually not done inside yeah. of two months, and so we're into a number of conversations and feel great about the number of conversations that we're in for us we've learned quite a bit. we introduced this another I mentioned the strategic wealth services offering in April, and just now we're seeing we've had our first four joins in that. Um, and have a number, a couple of other commitments as well. And so we're starting to see that sales process um, start to move towards close. And we feel really good there as well. So we're learning an August launch, you wouldn't see a bunch of lands in October, but you would hope to see pipeline. And we've seen really good receptivity in the marketplace. We're in a lot of good discussions with advisors and feel really good about what 2021 will look like for us in that support of advisors and that independent employee model.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you uh, see in the conversations that you're having with the employee model, uh, where are those advisors coming from? Are these uh, independents who just want to completely join a firm as a W-2 employee, or, or are they uh, coming from other employment situations? Where do you think the demand will be? For
1: yeah, employees? That's model? interesting. I'll tell you, David, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where we see the demand right now, but I'll tell you, I think you're, you're closer to where we think the demand could be in the future. So right now, actually, we're seeing a lot of folks out of wirehouses and regionals who are looking for a partner that really believes that they should be owning their book and, uh, sorry, that the advisor should own the book, that the mm-hmm. advisor is should be the captain at the wheel. And so these are uh, advisors who really want that support, but also, so they want to exit their own model and they wanna see, our, look, our payouts are dramatically higher than any of the competitors in the space. And so you're talking about 30 mm-hmm. to 45% higher take-home pay in our employee model. And so obviously there's this uh, acknowledgement of that there's economics that are materially different than, than any other firm in the marketplace in that space. So our, our first interactions primarily have been around wirehouse advisors. I would tell you that over time, we have a hypothesis that you'll see a number of independent advisors who are looking to transition and, and I think over time become flexible about how they want to run their practice. And so we, we expect that as you see folks who are reaching Maybe we've had some really good engagement around folks who maybe have 10 years left in the industry and are saying, Do I really want to sign another lease? Do I really want to take down more of these obligations? And so trying to, to move back a little bit in terms of their obligations and commitment. And so we've had good conversations, though I would tell you the balance of those conversations have really lived inside of um, Wirehouse and regional advisors exploring our independent employee offering.
0: Okay, great. You you launched these things in uh, August, or at least the employee model in in August, but relatively short amount of time uh, and also a pretty disruptive time to roll out a new (laughs) business affiliation model. Yeah. 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 uh, Sure, that wasn't by design, but here we are. Given the – how are your advisors uh, coping? How's the business coping? What are some of the insights that you've gleaned from trying to roll with the punches these past half year or so?
1: Well, I think – listen, March was tough times. Right, and and I, and I would tell you the great the, the, there's nothing great about um, this pandemic. There's nothing great about the situation that unfortunately millions of Americans find themselves in, in you know having contracted um, COVID themselves and having family members, and so it's it's not a good time. But for the financial advisors in our and financial services space, this is a time that I think you've seen advisors step up in a really material way um, to help families. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of small business owners who are really struggling. And the help of a financial advisor to help them understand how to make the best decisions to continue to navigate the small business, to help families thinking about you know, retired loved ones or folks approaching retirement. This has been an awful time across the board, but our our industry has played a critical role and financial advisors have played a critical role helping people make better decisions and maybe avoid bad decisions. In, in, in difficult times, it's often important to help people avoid bad decisions. And so I think we have been really impressed with the advisors that we have the privilege to partner with in the ways that they have stepped up obviously you know if you have to have silver lining here the silver lining is that you've seen client engagement uh, increase dramatically you've seen the the use and adoption of Video conferencing move more in six months than you could have expected it to move in six years. We've seen the use of texting, so compliant texting solutions. We uh, drove the adoption of uh, inner office. Um, instant messaging that advisors, many of our advisors, weren't adopting and so uh, have driven that through. We've uh, implemented Facebook, a workplace by Facebook to build community more actively, smaller communities, uh, communities of advisors. And so you've seen adoption of technology. You've seen engagement with the clients We've seen client attrition drop dramatically for our advisors because they're engaging them more, much more robustly. We've true, also yeah. seen, yeah, our the same store sales. So the growth from our advisors from their existing clients and assets has been really high as well. It's continued really uh, since April same, we call it same store sales, but our same store sales for existing advisors, that expansion of wallet share has been pretty dramatic for us. Um, And that's been one of the surprising things we have seen is that these advisors that show up in this time and are are there to help, they're getting a consolidation of assets from other advisors or financial institutions. And so there are some silver linings out there. I think we'll come out of this and with recognizing that there are much more efficient ways to engage with your clients and use online calendaring and scheduling to get into a Zoom meeting and do that where you can spend instead of saying oh i'm going to take you know 3 quarters of my day or half my day and go visit a client um, you may be able to interact with 5 clients in that same time frame and i think the clients will like that efficiency as well and we're seeing that today but i think it's going to persist when we come out of the back end as well
0: a lot of this is on the back of markets which have really been pretty resilient right you know the if the if that falls, if that uh, uh, leg of the stool falls, then I think it'll be pretty apparent what advisors kind of have their uh, ducks in a row in terms of financial planning and long-term planning, and and which ones are just kind of riding a crest of asset growth. Do you have any uh, thoughts about that? I'm sure all of your advisors are doing great on this front. Thoughts about the advisors who maybe are unprepared for an eventual market pullback, assuming that one happens. You know, it really then becomes like a matter of how, what kind of relationship do you have with your clients in terms of planning, long-term goals, clients, wishes and desires, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. So look, I think, I think you saw a lot of volatility in the, the late spring. And I would imagine, and I'm, I'm no market prognosticator, but um, I think many advisors that we speak to, listen, I, I run business development. And so the discussions that we have with advisors are they would, you know, even folks that have progressed in conversations with us are holding back in transitions around the election just on the risk of volatility. I think, you know, if you knew that Brexit was coming and you had a sense that Brexit could go a particular way, you probably would want to make sure you were fully available in that market in a highly volatile market. And and similarly, I think that's what you saw in the late spring was highly volatile markets, advisors really doubling down into interacting with their clients. And and what we saw was advisors really, really seeking Uh, content that was generated so we generate a lot of content to help advisors and help client-facing Content that they go to them to, that helps them understand the volatility in the marketplace, that helps them to contextualize that relative to many of the unknowns. Obviously, in the spring, we had many more unknowns than we have now, and try to help reveal some of those unknowns. I think advisors who are committed to staying in the pocket with those clients, to not letting that phone get heavy, making sure that they are being proactive. This is the time to be proactive with your clients. This is the time when. I get it. Uh, You you said the markets are resilient and there is relatively relative stability, even inside of this kind of giant challenge of the pandemic. But if we think we may be facing some volatility that may occur, you know, in 15 days post-November 3rd, I think this is the time to get in front of that with clients, to be making sure that you are doing the right things around financial planning, updating those plans, updating those goals, um, reiterating with them the portfolio and helping them to understand where you've taken risk and where you've taken risk off the table. Um, Those are what some of the better advisors are doing. And we see a lot of that. Obviously, we've served 17,000 advisors. And so they run the gamut of how they construct their you know, client service mechanisms. But I think proactive communications, transparency, providing as much information as possible where there's an asymmetry of information, I think those are important things. And we try to help our advisors uh, extensively. Um, our research team was writing more research in the spring than they've ever written before, because it was really important for advisors to be able to calm the nerves of investors with a with a view towards, hey, this will settle. I think that was our outlook. I think it has settled. I think you're right. The markets have been resilient. Um, if you look at a pullback, which we may or may not have, I think it is important for advisors to be present and also point that out as a risk. And right, if you're transparent about the risk factors, as we stare down potential volatility, I think if you tell someone in advance about those potential risks, I think if one of the risks comes true, they feel calmed because the person, the advisor that I'm working with actually had that out there as a potential risk for me and had a plan for how we were going to react with my portfolio with against my goals based on that risk.
0: Yeah, that's great. Transparency and, and proactivity. Rich, this has been great. We're at 30 minutes. I won't keep you any longer. So, uh, uh, But again, congratulations on the, uh, the, the finalists there for the Wealthies Awards. Uh, a great conversation. Thanks very much. Talking to Rich Steinmeier, Managing Director at LPL. Thanks a lot for joining us. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, David. I appreciate the time and looking forward to those wealthy 2021. So we're going to work hard on maybe getting some more nominations as well. So when we're in person, we can all celebrate together.
0: Absolutely. 2021 in person.
1: Black tie. <laughs> Sounds That's great. It. All right.
0: Okay. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This content has been made for information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions represent the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of wealthmanagement.com.